Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Traveler, the Traveler's Blueprint Travel Around Table discussion. This is where we break down everything uh, from travel to adventure, culture, conservation, and oftentimes travel logistics. Today, we're going to break down travel budgeting. Uh, very quickly, before we get started, if you're listening to this and you're involved in the travel world in some way, shape, or form and are interested in joining us for a future travel around table discussion, you can email us, email us at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com with your information, your website, things like that, and we'll get back to you to get you on the show on a later date. Before we dive into the topic today, I want to take a minute to introduce our panel members, we're going to ask where you're from, how you're involved in the travel community, and where people can find your content. Kelly, as your first time on the Traveler's Blueprint, uh, let's start with you. So where are oh, you from? Okay. My name is Kelly Messer, and I'm from Abilene, Texas, and I am a municipal attorney. Municipal law uh, is my specialty. I work for a city, but I also plan travel for people on the side, and I have a blog and ebook. Uh, the ebook is to Europe with our teens and tweens. And uh, you can find me at travelplanningpassion.com uh, or on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, but look for travelplanningpassion.com. That's the best way to find me. Nice. Right. nice. Mike. I have a best selling book on Amazon called International Travel Secrets. And um, I can be found on YouTube. I film some of my layovers at uh, Layover Guru, is the uh, tagline for YouTube. And Instagram is layover underscore guru. Nice. Right. And where are you right now? In I'm in Los Angeles, actually, just south of Los Angeles. Okay. All right. Nick. Hey, everyone. Nick DeRiso here, for, uh, originally from New York. Spent some time in Colorado and Vermont as well. I have run a travel blog with my compadre also on the pod here, Vito. We are bros around the globe, and we have a travel blog where we talk about our adventures in all the places we've gone to, how to do it for cheap and how to cross off those amazing bucket list destinations that you always want to get to and how to do it for a little bit of money and making some memories while you're uh, going through those awesome experiences. Yep. Yep. And Vito. Yep. And I'm Vito, the other half of Bros Around the Globe. Uh, me and Nick actually grew up together on Long Island, New York here. So We've been bros for quite a number of years now. Um, you can find our stuff at brosaroundtheglobe.com, on Instagram, Facebook, Bros Around the Globe, and on Twitter at Bros Around Globe. All right. So the question of the day is uh, around travel budgeting. How much money do you set aside for your trip? Now, I understand that this is almost impossible to just answer blankly, but we're going to try our best to, to do it. And I think one of the best ways to get started is similar to how you book your trip with normally you go for the biggest ticket item first, and maybe that's where we focus to get the ball rolling. Uh, airlines, right? So it's airfare. That's normally the, the most expensive cost, maybe followed by accommodations. So anybody could take this, uh, but what is your go-to method for booking airfare and making sure you get the cheapest flight you possibly can? I'll Mike. jump in. I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, Google Flights. I know sometimes people use Skyscanner and a few other things, and they check several different apps, but I check Google Flights. And one of the favorite things I like to do is to 
I talk about this a lot is using the map function where you leave the destination blank and click on the map, zoom out, and you can see where the cheapest fares are. And they'll look at the map and say, oh, I haven't been there. Let me plan a trip there. And I just, I just planned a trip to South America recently. I just got back last week and um, found a ticket down there for 150 and said, all right, I'm going to go. That's how I plan the trips is doing Whoa. that. Then after that, I do the hotels. And once I get that locked in, I kind of go into the tours, but um Google Flights is my go-to. Yeah, I, I have a lot to say on Google Flights. Does anybody use anything else before we dive into Google Flights? I yeah, also use uh, what Michael mentioned, Skyscanner. I'll check Kayak. And I'll also look on the individual airlines mm -hmm. uh, sites directly just to check. Most of the time, Google Flights is pretty accurate and has mm -hmm. the best deals. But you never know. It's worth just giving it another uh, look. Yeah, Google Flights, and, and anybody can jump in here if they have similar experiences or something to say on this, but Google Flights offers a lot with their platform, right? So once you decide on a destination, you can then use, you can use the mapping tool, but you can also use that bar graph to see how prices fluctuate throughout the year, which is really helpful. I love that tool. Um, but then something else that I think maybe people don't, don't initially realize is when you're booking through Google Flights, you can decide on a destination but it's not always the cheapest route to go directly to that destination. Yes. And this is easy with Europe, right? So if you're leaving from the eastern coast of the United States and you need to get to Rome, Italy, it might be cheaper um, to fly to London or Paris mm -hmm. and take that even cheaper flight you know, over to Rome. And I think this is a trick that not, not a lot of people use. I think people who travel often sort of, it, it's well known, but have, have any of you actually used this? as well and do you do you I have prices? yeah yeah, yeah. I had I found a thousand dollar flight to Prague one time and used that trick and I booked a flight for 128 dollars to Oslo Norway and then the flight from Oslo to Prague was less than a hundred dollars I think it was like 50 bucks 50 or 60 bucks so all wow. told 200 versus a thousand so it saved a lot of money to do that and but you know the airport city. you mentioned London where there's there's Paris there's Barcelona some of the major hubs in Europe and all over the world, you fly there first and then get a cheaper flight out. It's a great way to do it. Yeah, it's huge. And it allows you to, so the, the big goal is just getting to Europe because every flight in Europe, inner cities throughout Western Europe are always really cheap. And even beyond flights, if you have a lot of time and you're flexible with the trip you're taking, you could just jump on a train. You don't need yeah. to, to do inner flight travel there, but yeah, in my experience, you can get flights for as cheap as twenty something dollars um, in our city in Europe. So that's 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 huge, and that's pretty much only for Europe though. Um, once you're there, I don't, I have, I don't have no experience doing this to like get to Asia or Africa uh, or even South America. It works. It's just not you're not going to find uh, twenty dollar flights when you do it, but you can still cut your flight price in half by doing you know creating that fake layover is what I like to call it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that that to me has been the best way to get cheap flights. It, yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> the, the other one is flexibility, right? Yeah. And it comes down to being flexible with your time that, you know, your, your time of departure. So depending on when you can go, if it doesn't matter to you the month or week, you have more leeway. When you're locked into a date, that's when the struggle can really happen and you kind of yes. get locked into a price as well. Right. Yeah. So... It, it, I mean, it's yeah. it's just fun to explore the map. Like, you can you can find and filter so much. Like, even if you're going from a regional airport, 
if you just want to find something that's close, like an airport that's close to you and then fly somewhere else, you can find stuff that's one way for under a hundred bucks and you have multiple options. It's pretty sweet. And it does help to play with the dates a little bit, even if you don't mm -hmm. have a lot of flexibility, just, you know, back it up a couple of days, you know, adjusting little adjustments can also help find, you know, within the time frame that you're looking at maybe the best deal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's flexibility with the time frame you want to travel. It's flexibility with the destination you're going to as well. You know, if you just want to travel and you don't even care where you go, that's when you're truly, you know, truly going to get the cheapest possible ticket because you can now just pick cheapest place, cheapest time. And that's where, that's where the magic really happens. Um, that's a rare type of traveler though. We've talked to them. We've, we've, we've talked to them plenty of times, but that's, that's more rare than anything else. The, the common traveler, the vacationer usually has the destination in mind and then has to work backwards. But if you do, if you're more open to being spontaneous with your next vacation, your next trip, your next experience, and you don't care where you go, you just want to go somewhere. That's where you're going to save a lot of money. All right, now I'm going to pose the question. So say you have something specific in mind, you want to go to an event, and that is at a specific time, specific dates every year, and what's the best way to find deals then? Airline miles. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a good point, uh, Vito. Um, maybe you can elaborate on that. Obviously, we, we've talked about points and accumulating points and miles, and it saves you a lot of money. What's your personal experience with points and miles? Uh, so a few years back, me and Nick both quit our jobs and traveled around the world for a year on a pretty uh, small budget, $20,000 for a year, which equals out to about $50 a day. Um, truth be told, we would not have been able to do that without the use of airline miles and travel hacking. Uh, basically signing up for a Chase Sapphire preferred card, the Delta credit card, the United credit card, every major credit card uh, or airline, I should say, has a credit card that offers huge sign-up bonuses if you're able to hit a minimum threshold of spending within the first two months or so. And they are literally free tickets they're giving away just for being a responsible credit card user and paying your bills on time, um, which if you're a smart budget traveler, you, without a doubt, will be that type of person. Um, so yeah, when we booked our ticket from New York City to Rome for the first stop of our trip, we paid $5.60 for the ticket. Wow. So, I mean, That's awesome. most people think a, a trip to Italy is going to cost you an arm and a leg and you must have to save up for months. But really, all we had to do was sign up for a credit card and just not use cash, use the card for all of our purchases and basically a free ticket to Italy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that seems to be what we've found to be the most effective way, especially if you have that specific date and that specific location in mind, which eliminates, you know, 67% of your flexibility options. So now you really do have to focus on getting those deals uh, through the airlines. Mm -hmm. To answer yeah. Elliot's question, maybe if there's a particular place where you want to go, I think it can go back to what Michael said earlier, look around and see what's close to there. If you want to maybe go to Oktoberfest and the flights are through the roof to Munich, you can you can take a bus from Vienna that's three hours away and maybe get there for two, three hundred dollars uh, cheaper and just take a bus to where you need to go. So don't just zone in on that particular place where the event's happening. 
if you have a day or two to play around with and you got some extra time, you may save quite a bit of money by going to a, play, a location that's maybe just next door and, and seeing that then making your way. Um, as we know, if there's a particular event happening, a festival or um, some sort of concert or sports event, the prices are going to go through the roof when there's a particular event happening at a certain time. So uh, be a little open-minded to the region around where an event may be happening or a place you want to see, and you may be surprised on how uh, cheap you can get there from somewhere else. Yeah. And, and when it comes to... Yeah, go ahead, Kelly. When it comes to, you know, getting your all-in budget for a trip and, and budgeting, uh, figuring out the expense of everything, um, it's good to keep in mind sometimes you'll end up paying um, the uh, taxes and fees. Even if you use miles to get a, quote, free flight, you kind of have to accommodate for that because uh, I have three kids and we've gone on a, a, a big trip before and uh, I think we were able to use miles on some of the tickets, but we had to pay the taxes and fees on those tickets and then also, you know, pay outright for, you know, the ones we didn't use miles for. And so that's all in, and, you know, when you're looking at several tickets, if it's not just you or, or two people that can add up. And so, especially when you're just estimating your costs, seeing what that's going to be is important. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Kelly. That's something I do want to bring up. Um, in this conversation as well, the things that you don't really consider. I think that's really important because I personally been surprised by some of the things that I've had to put money out for while, while traveling. And Nick, to just go back to what you were saying, another thing I would add to that, um, planning a destination specific or an event specific vacation is to maybe tailor your trip so that event is on the at the end of your experience. It's maybe the grand finale. So you're not flying to the destination for this insane concert where flights are higher, you spent two weeks in Germany already. And this is like, this is the grand finale of your trip. And then you fly home as most people are flying in. And it may be a little bit cheaper that way as well. Yeah. And if there's an event, I like to throw in a couple extra countries or cities. Yeah. You know, you're, the, the most expensive part is getting over there. Once you're over there, take advantage of it and go check out a couple other spots. Yeah, absolutely. And depending on the type of traveler you are, these rural places, these off the beaten path cities, they can add substantially to your overall experience. And you'll mm -hmm. learn something that you would not learn if you're just sitting at Oktoberfest or you're only in Rome rather than flying, you know, to a, to a smaller airport or somewhere else. And now you have to travel through Italy to Rome. Mm -hmm. So it does. It changes your experience oftentimes for the better, um, in my in my opinion, anyway. All right, so let's move on. Let's move on to meals and transportation. Normally, this probably two and three of the budget. Uh, transportation is probably inner inner city, inner country transportation is probably second, and then maybe meals. Those things add up over time. Um, anybody can take this one with either of those two things. I'm just curious to hear what you have to say. I'll jump in on this. Um, a lot of times we'll eat just two meals a day and you know I'm I, I'm not a full-time traveler I'm one of those travelers I'll, I'll use my three weeks vacation and try to travel when I can and so you know I want to get my bang for my buck and time-wise really also and so you know a lot of times it's, we're too busy to sit do three sit-down meals and so we'll eat grab a croissant in the morning and then eat two meals in a day or uh, you know some and I know you, you've probably heard these 
things before. Maybe you'll say some of these same ideas, but grabbing something and picnicking in some great spot in the city square or something is always a, a great uh, option. And so I kind of estimate those things in, uh, but also kind of looking at the average cost for the, the top restaurants we want to go to, um, include a little splurge, but also kind of your average because uh, I don't plan necessarily where, where we're eating before we go on a trip. I do kind of plan for those average costs and kind of our habits. Yeah, that's really interesting. Kelly, so you have three kids, you said. How old are your mm -hmm. kids? Well, now I've got two in college and one in high school. But, um, you know, when they, and so we might not necessarily be traveling with all of them at this point, but we have traveled, you know, with all three. And so when you're talking about a family of five, we're definitely, we're definitely, we're like, a, you know, when we took the kids to Europe, uh, we had a blast uh, getting uh, picnic items to take to Versailles. And I mean, Versailles, oh, yeah. that's expensive anyway. And yep. uh, so then we had the best time with our little, we had little uh, oranges or something and uh crack cheese and a baguette and whatever else we had and it was just great to sit in the park and then we could save our money for the bike rental which was a really fun thing that we did with the kids whenever we were there it just kind of made the day you know it was like the highlight of that day and getting to eat some so sometimes like the cheap meals like eating on a beach or eating uh in a square or something those are going to be fun just as fun as going to a a great restaurant although you know you want that too yeah yeah picnic in versailles is a bucket list everyone should have <laughs> right yeah so you're getting this this cool unique experience and you do that several times over the course of your trip and you save probably a few hundred dollars especially with a family of five so that's a pretty significant cost savings i think overall yeah and i yeah. i guess one of the questions that i think we're i want to jump back to because i think this is what most of us would probably do at the beginning. Do you budget out specific items per day? So not specific items. Do you have a budget number per day that you try to hit and that factors in food transportation while you're there? Not your transportation there, but lodging is included in that food and getting around the city. For for us, we're more on the the budget end, but that fifty dollar a day kind of number is something we try to stick to. Um, we found that when we used to take our two week vacations and just go somewhere, it was a little bit different how we budgeted for a trip like that versus more of the long term travel that we kind of find ourselves doing these days. Um, for example, we spent the whole past winter and spring from January through June in Mexico. So it's a little bit harder to budget for like a six month travel experience versus a two week or three week. It's easier to wrap your head around. Um, we kind of just set kind of loose targets and just try to make smart decisions each day. And we find ourselves there. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't set a budget for that. I just try and save money wherever I can. Yeah, I mean, yeah. on transportation, you can Google say like the best way to get from the airport to the city center. And you'll find sometimes a bus is the way sometimes Uber's the best if the country has it, but I'll give you an example. Um, I was in Jamaica recently and I was researching the taxi rides. They were about 20 bucks from the airport to the city. And I found out they have something called a route taxi where they just pick people up along the road as they go. 
And so it's a lot cheaper and you can get from the airport to the city for one or $2 as opposed to 20. So I don't have a budget that I set, but I'll Google stuff like that and find out how I can save a lot of money to do it. Or sometimes you get the lay of the land. You know, in Vietnam, my friends who spoke the language got there before me and spent a hundred bucks to get into the city center. I walked off to the side, hung out there for five or 10 minutes, and I watched where the locals went. And I was able to grab a cab for 10 bucks for a pretty long ride. It was about a 30 or 40 minute ride into the city. So (laughs) sometimes just getting a lay of the land and watching what happens and what goes down can save you some money in that regard, too. That's a pretty. I like. Pretty I like what you said about watching what the locals are doing. Yeah. That goes for food as well. Food that's and food. everything. Yeah. Food. yeah. <laughs> Street food. That's where, where the long lines too. of locals are. That's the place you want to be. That's the place to be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Elliot, we we had that experience in Peru where we were staying in the touristy area, but someone at some point told us if you go on the opposite side of the river, that's where all of the workers who run these tourism. In, they run the tourism industry go that's where they live and if you just cross the river cross the bridge and spend time there and eat there then you'll get a significantly cheaper and more authentic travel experience or, or dining experience yeah. so which is what we all want right yeah so yeah, yeah that's and another i think insightful piece of information is to google or research the cost of living at destination and that could help you determine how much you need to save and what you might be spending at that location getting a feel for what the average cost of a meal is and things like that. Not only will you now know um, what you should spend, but when you sit down at a restaurant, you don't get ripped off by scammers, which is another story that Elliot and I could talk about during <laughs> our trip down into to Morocco, where we almost got into like a physical altercation over getting completely <laughs> ripped off. Almost not really, but yeah. it got, a, it got a little heated. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. All, all really, all really important and incredibly beneficial. So yep. no one here actually organizes the costs for their meals. No, no one goes. That's that. one of the things I splurge on. So I can't really say that I do. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. ways to keep it cheap, but that's the one place I like to go heavy. Yeah. And, and for transportation, is there any insight on transportation, how to get cheap transportation? I know, Mike, you just touched up on it a little bit, but is there anything further that anybody has? I Back mean, to the, what the low transportation that's exactly what I go for. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was say, if you, back to going what the locals are doing, if a, a tour bus is going to cost significantly a little bit more, but you'd be surprised how many um, those collectivos that we find in South America or Central America, the local bus is going to go there that's going to bring all the workers that work at the Machu Picchu or Chichen Itza. There's going to be a bus that has to bring local people there. So you might find yourself in in an adventure just taking the local bus instead of the tourist bus. Um, Sometimes you find that you're going to save a lot more and you might not know what's going on half the time and you don't even know if you're going in the right direction, but that's part of the adventure. Uh, You can save if you look into the local route instead of just going directly to the tourist office um, and paying a premium to be taken in maybe a luxury bus directly to your destination. Yeah, yeah and yeah. sometimes if you befriend uh, taxi drivers, they can save you money on taking yeah. you to some of the touristy spots. And it's a more of a unique experience. You gotta be careful because some of them get kind of scammy, but uh, sometimes you get a unique experience and a different story of the area by doing that. And I've hung out with some of them where they're real cool guys and I ended up using them three or four different times. At one time when I was in, um, the capital of Macedonia, I befriended a taxi driver who ended up taking me into Kosovo and gave me a tour 
of Kosovo. You know, it's a pretty small country, but it was a whole day tour. And that would have cost me probably 150 bucks or more. And he did it for like 50. And it was a great experience. That's awesome. Uh, Two things I'll add to this. So we had a guest on recently who runs a lot. And his recommendation for seeing any city is at the six mile an hour pace. And it's very cheap. You just might need another pair of shoes. But he literally... I'll, he, I'll he walk. Literally... I'm not running, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> the other thing I'll that... take the extra time. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that I've done that is it's, it's best to do in a city that you know you can navigate well where the traffic laws are actually enforced. Uh, but if there are cities that have bike share programs or scooter share programs... That is a cost-effective way to get around the city. I know in London, I think you can pay two or four euros for just access to their bike share program. And as long as you rack it before the 30 minutes runs out, you don't pay anything. So you can just get to destination to destination and only pay that four euros for a week, I think. And scooters are taking off. I even rode some in Santiago, Chile, and I was surprised that they had it down there. Yeah, <laughs> it tends to be more of a European thing. Yeah, yeah, they're they're everywhere. I always try to look at how things uh, work wherever you're going. Like, is it a walkable area? Um, what you know? What do you expect to pay for a taxi from the city center to the airport at this location? Is is uh, Uber or Lyft available or Grab or something else? Or do people say? don't take a taxi take a taxi you want to you know get the price ahead i mean there's always something a little different it seems like no matter where you're you're going so always try to find out as much as i can ahead and then you know you might get to your destination (laughs) and by watching the locals or something you know you might learn something about something else but i really try to estimate that ahead because i'm dealing with those shorter trip the one or two week trips yeah. That's that's a great point, and it's, this that's something that I personally preach. Where this is where Elliot and I differ. I'm like a huge travel planner, and I do think um, the more you plan, and I know some people don't like to plan their trip extensively. They enjoy the spontaneity of it, but I think a a pro for doing that, for actually putting in a lot of effort, is saving money because you're fully aware of how to get from the airport to you to the city you know what meals can cost you have all this information in your back pocket or on your phone what you know and you can then plan accordingly and you're more prepared for costs um and you know where to spend your money and how to navigate better and i guess maybe that's sort of what i'm getting at like if you if you're able to understand the city and how to navigate that city before you get there i think you'll inevitably save money because you'll just be more efficient and you'll be more efficient with your time as hey, well but there's a whole tangent now I'm, that i can go i'm on. efficient with my with my travel just because i don't plan my every 15 minute increment <laughs> out doesn't mean i don't look and download the subway routes <laughs> yeah and, and whatever so and, and something else i also want to add kelly to where i think you and i have more similar travel styles um you have children so i have children as well they're younger so i have a three-year-old and actually like a five-week year old who hasn't traveled oh. yet. my three-year-old has already been to italy um so now i'm i'm at a point where i have to recalibrate and figure out now how to save money it's four of us it's way more money you know to to get the ticket i'm already paying for a third ticket and so it's becoming increasingly difficult and so something that i do want to say for this conversation i think a lot of it has been with like these single guys backpacking and some of these (laughs) trips some of these tips just flat out won't work for a family with kids it's just impossible so you don't you mean five people can't ride around the city on bikes 
Right, right. <laughs> right. So it's it's a little bit harder, and I think it just requires uh, Kelly. That's why I think your your point is so important. It, you need to do more research. The more people you're traveling with, especially if they're mm-hmm. children. Yeah. Sorry for that. <laughs> but if I was in Michael's position, point. if yeah. I could be somewhere for a month or two, I would probably just kind of do it the the way the way he's done it. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what you're working with. It, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's now move on to the things that we have forgotten <laughs> that where we thought we were going to spend X amount and it was significantly mm. more. I think all of us have had our wallets hit a little bit harder than we anticipated at some point in our travels. Um, feel free to just start spitting them out and we can start breaking them down. Tipping. Tipping. And for your seat on the plane. That too. Ooh, that's <laughs> or your baggage. One, yeah. The baggage is a big one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's, so let's break them all down. Tipping. Um, we're all American, so we kind of get the gist of it. We've had foreigners on the we've had australians and people from the uk and it's like it's foreign literally um <laughs> they they don't understand the process i think for the most part we all kind of get it so maybe this conversation but it's not I, i'm not going to say tipping in uh, tipping in the u.s is customary for like restaurants but i'm talking about tipping if you get a tour if you yeah. have a tour guide if you have someone I think that's standard that can add up yeah, it can, it can add up, up, but it's not stuff. Yeah. It's not stuff that is known when you start your trip. You can expect it, but you don't know how much it's going to be. I mean, if you take yeah. fishing trips, you you're expecting to tip the captain, but you never know how much it's going to be. It could be twenty bucks. It could be a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we. So Elliot, this again is fresh in our minds because we ended up tipping a lot of money on our recent trip to Morocco um, because we did a lot of stuff and because we also wanted to tip. You know, based on the past few years of the travel industry, we were trying to do our our part to help out. And but it ended up being a lot of money. And when we calculated our budget and when I calculated our budget, I just should say that because you didn't do any of it. I did. Um, I I didn't anticipate the, the tipping into those budgets. And I think now moving forward after how much we ended up spending, I will like, you know, I'll get the, the, the estimated price of that tour and then just tack on what I think I'm going to tip at the time. And at least I'll be a little bit more prepared when I'm actually there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the real thing, if you're really budget traveling, you're not doing tours, <laughs> you know, you're just kind of doing it on your own, but yeah. You know, one thing you got to watch out for too sometimes is food. I remember we got taken pretty good one time. We were in Baku, which is in Azerbaijan. And the guy said, oh, we're known for a caviar. You should you should try some caviar. Okay, yeah, let's try some caviar. Added on, it was like $100. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> in addition to the food that we already had. So it was like, all right, he got, he got his... Uh, he got his sale yeah. for the day <laughs> you know sometimes in europe they put the the bread on the table and we're so used to as americans that that's included with the the price mm-hmm. of the meal right and then you'll see on the receipt at the end of the bill bread eight yeah. euros you know catch like, up <laughs> yeah. like yeah exactly. they much bread over there yep. yeah <laughs> <laughs> napkin <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to use the bathroom to in public, or you have to. Pay That's to a big one. In public. Yep. Right, right. That's another one that I don't think anybody really anticipates. I mean, after you go a few times, but Latin America too. Yeah, you're always paying for public restrooms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. The food one, um, like to add on that. So the experience Elliot and I had, and this is the super short story, is that we sat down in Marrakech. We ate at like, in, in the, the market, market where it was kind of sketchy to begin with. 
And then after we were done, they hit us with a bill that was more than the fine dining experience that we had for dinner the night before. And so we were pissed. And so we we went back and forth. But anyway, what we should have done was get the price up front. We Mm -hmm. sat down and they kind of, they make you feel comfortable and they're like, you know, happy that you're here. They ask you what you want, generally speaking. They gave us the meal and it was like kebabs or whatever. And we had no idea what the price was. And then afterwards, he took out the menu and we confronted him on it. And I was like, here's the prices. And so he was prepared because we actually watched him do it over and over again to other people <laughs> that left before us. And so we were anticipating dealing with that. But um, if we would have said, what does this cost before we sat down and had that locked in, um, we probably would have saved that time. Did you get the price down or did you? how did you deal with it? Yeah. I said, I'm not paying it. And he said, you are. And I said, no, I'm well, not. And we gave uh, him, we gave him what we thought it was worth. And that's, okay. and we stood firm on that. And eventually they said, okay, go. Okay. Yep. Nice. How it kind of went down. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Peter, let's go back to the seats and uh, baggage on planes. Cause that's whenever we buy tickets, we're always looking at like, all right, I'm not going to select a seat. I don't care where I am. And they <laughs> yeah. always try to hit you with like 35 bucks to select your seat. It's like, why? Yeah. And it's funny because like these days now, I think people are more inclined to actually pay it with COVID going on. They'd rather know that, hey, I'm going to sit next to my brother or my wife. I don't want to sit next to a random person who may be coughing and sneezing all over me, right? So like I think it benefits the airlines in this situation that people are more willing to pay these fees now, at least for the seat selection one. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently took a flight, not internationally, just down to Florida. I had a wedding and I didn't have a seat selected. So I went up to the gate at the time that we were boarding to find out where I was sitting and they offered me the emergency exit row. So I, I made out like a bandit with the extra leg room and yeah, flight landed safely. I didn't have to open the door or anything. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's, that's another kind of new hidden charge that's popping up with every airline is the, the baggage fees and the seat selection fees. For me personally, I always go strictly carry on. So I avoid the check fees. I mean, I kind of, I mean, it all depends what situation you're in, right? I mean, I know some women may want to carry a hair dryer or something. Like everyone's got a different uh, suitcase, right? Bob's got a whole case for his beard. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. hair dryer hair dryer included the yeah. oil yep you yeah. need it all. <laughs> but yeah i mean for me whether i'm traveling for two weeks or two months it's kind of the same stuff in my bag i know that i'm going to do laundry on my trip so i don't have to bring a million pairs of socks um and that helps me at least avoid those check bags fees sure Vito, that's an important point because i was averse to doing laundry it was a th- something i didn't want to deal with on a trip and I'm sure everyone on on this podcast has done it, but I want to invite the people that are listening to give it a shot at least once because it's not that hard to to find an Airbnb that has a laundry, you know, a laundry facility on site or in the room. And I'll tell you what, it's so much better not waiting for your bag, dealing with the baggage fees, lost bags, all that stuff. It's a lot easier than it sounds. And once you get used to it, I, I have not checked a bag, you know, since I started doing it that way. Yeah. A lot of times too, if you if you want to check your bag for free, another thing you can do is be the last person on the plane, regardless of your group number. A lot of times it fills up and they'll check your bag for free if you don't want to deal with it. But I prefer to have it with me so I don't have to deal with any of the problems. Yeah. Kelly, I'm curious, what's your experience been like with baggage traveling with three kids? 
Well, when we when we have taken the kids like on an international trip and there hasn't been that many times, I was very strict about, okay, let's take one bag. We got everybody, a, a, you know, a nice backpack. And I still prefer just to, you know, the, actually the, the bigger the trip, the, the more strict I am about, you know, packing my bag and I can go like on a weekend somewhere else in Texas and my whole bag will be full. But, you know, we all weighed each other's bags and I think it was like 22 and I got down to 20 on the, the last trip I did degree. So yeah, I, I don't like to check a bag. I'm almost like OCD about not checking a bag. I don't want to check yeah. a bag. But one thing that's kind of funny is the, the whole thing about laundry. I was like, yeah, let's just find a laundromat halfway through our, our trip. We went to, my husband and I went to Greece in September and we, I had looked and I had seen laundromats. I was like, okay, this is halfway through at Paros. We'll find a, but we expected it to be like, coin-operated thing, and the only thing available is where somebody does your laundry, which was a little bit more, I mean, we expected, oh. you know, five or whatever, and it was like 20 or something, a little more than we expected, but it was kind of funny because we went to like two different places, and it people, they wash your laundry, and then you come back, but, you know, we got to, okay. we didn't have to wait or come back or whatever, and so, um, you know, I could almost just wash what I need to wash in the sink and hang it in the room. I've done that as well. But yep. I totally agree with the light packing. Um, so, yeah, there is a fine line, isn't there, between traveling on a budget and traveling with ease. So, yes, you, it, you know, you, yeah. you tend to create more difficulties for yourself by constantly trying to save a dollar. And you do need to weigh whether or not this specific dollar for this specific thing is worth your time. So pick and choose your battles, I guess, is essentially. Is, is yeah, essentially and if you, you think do. of those bag fees adding up if you have a lot of flights. I mean, if you're paying right, from right. 20 to, I've paid as much as $100 for a bag fee before. And, you know, you're you're buying your clothes several times over if your trip is long enough with enough flights. So that's, as soon yeah. as I gave that up, I ended up saving a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's a good way to think about it. So I hate to quote, you know, quote Rick Steves, but I'm, I'm a big fan. But, you know, he says, uh, you can't travel heavy, happy, and cheap. You have to pick two. Yes. And so yes. I, tra- yeah. I travel light and I travel that's cheap and I'm very happy with that. So yeah. <laughs> uh, That's funny. So yeah. one, one thing that we haven't dealt with too much uh, between Bob and myself are visas. Have you guys had uh, experience with that and what to anticipate? And I feel like different countries have different costs associated with their visas. So someone jump in there, give us a little bit of info. Well, if you go to the um, the Department of State's website, they're pretty accurate as far as telling you what the entry and exit requirements are. But I like to go to the actual consulate website for each country because it, it tends to be a little bit more up to date. And now, especially with the the COVID requirements that are required, you know, that are that are added on to the whole visa policy. But most we, we have one of the better passports in the world, and that most countries give us visa on arrival, which means they just stamp your passport. There's not much you have to do in advance. But there's some where, you know, Russia, you have to mail your passport off. Uh, Saudi Arabia, you have to mail your passport off uh, along with a complicated uh, visa application. So it ranges anywhere from easy, no work or no fee at all, all the way up to a few hundred dollars and a lot of steps. But a good place to start is that Department of State website. Type in your country, click on entry and exit requirements. And that's really the best way I found it. And what else have you guys worked with? Maybe for the more prospective long-term travelers to keep a few extra crisp U.S. dollars in the bag somewhere. Uh, We've uh, 
entried into Bolivia and our money wasn't uh, it was too wrinkled at one point. And so, and they only accept U.S. dollars. So surprisingly enough, some countries will only accept uh, U.S. dollars to pay for your visa and they'll reject you if they're not um, perfectly crisp and flat. Um, so keep a few extra USD <laughs> in the bag somewhere if you are traveling uh, a little more long-term and we'll be crossing to a few different visas. That was, I think, one of the more expensive ones Vito and I have ever paid for. It was upwards of maybe $200 or something like that. But, um, and and copies of, of copies of the passport, of course. Um, but if you are traveling long-term and you're gonna cross in a few borders, keep uh, a couple extra US dollars in your bag um, just to pay for those visas. It makes it a little bit easier if there's a language barrier. Um, you know, we found out just being a little more prepared and doing that due diligence will save you any hassle and uh, getting getting into a new country. And we all know when you are crossing that border, you want to get in there as easy as possible yeah. uh, and as smoothly as possible. So do that research when it does come to crossing uh, multiple borders. Have you guys used the website CIBT visas? Um, oh. I don't know if it's related to, it's a, it's a .com, so I assume it's a business, but it basically lets you do a visa quick check. You can search through any destination and it'll tell you if you need a business, if you're visa or if you are a tourist. And then it'll actually provide a link to the application. I haven't used it before. I just did a quick Google search to see if um, I could see something similar to the State Department or the embassy websites. I think I, I believe I've used them to actually assist in the process. I haven't used it for a search. That's actually a good tip. I should check that out. But some there's some visas that are complicated. Most of them I do myself. Okay. But uh, the, the Russia one was pretty complicated. So I paid someone to do that one for me the first time. Wow. because of steps. You have to name every country you've been to in the last 10 years in order along with the dates. I've heard that before. Oh, that's tough, man. <laughs> that's, it's hilarious that they, they force, like that. <laughs> that, that they force people to do that. But yeah, it is important to do this before you go, right? So you're not thrown off guard. So if you're traveling to different countries, multiple countries in one trip, be sure to know the entry requirements for each one. For Bhutan, for example, does anybody know what it costs per day? I just Googled it because I didn't, I couldn't remember. <laughs> no. It's pretty so pricey, right? $1,000 something crazy. $250, $250 per day you're there wow. just to be in the country. For their visa. On top of the visa. So you have to pay to get in, yeah, and then you have to pay to stay in the country $250 per wow. day. And it's hard to get there. It's, it's expensive to what? get there. And it sounds like once you're there, it's expensive to stay. <laughs> It's almost as if they don't want us to come. <laughs> I, I, I heard that actually. They're trying to keep that country untouched. And it's for cultural preservation primarily. They don't want an influx. They don't want over tourism. Um, I think mm -hmm. is what it's really coming down to, and that's a solid way to to halt it. They really don't care. Um, mm -hmm. I guess when you're at peace with, you know, you have that inner peace. You don't need <laughs> yeah. you don't need anything else. Um, yeah. yeah, pretty pretty interesting. <laughs> and I think that's you you. You need to know this information before you go. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, next up, I don't know if I've ever purchased it because I think it's covered through most credit cards or your uh, maybe your health insurance, but just travel insurance in general or health insurance related to trips. And I think we've had conversations in the past on this show about mm -hmm. length of stay and length of trip actually impacts what kind of insurance you should get, if any. 
So what are your experiences with travel insurance and health insurance abroad? Most, most people's health insurance will cover you if you're traveling abroad. So you'll want to check the terms before you go. Uh, some countries, regardless of whether you have health insurance, require you to purchase health insurance as part of the uh, visa process. Okay. But um, I have never had to purchase it myself because my trip has never been long enough. I, I believe my insurance is 90 days, I think is what it is. Some insurance is 30 days. I believe I've even seen two weeks in some cases. So it's really, really don't make that assumption. You know, check your individual company because there's some that don't cover you at all. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I've been lucky enough to never really have to purchase it except when it was required for the visa. And it's cheap. I can't remember the country it was recently. It was in this past year. I think it was in the Balkans, but I want to say it was like 20 bucks or, or $30 or something like that. It wasn't anything egregious. Yeah. Yeah. We use uh, World Nomads. Um, just to piggyback on your point there, I think some countries, not a lot, but there are some that are requiring you have health insurance because of COVID now. Mm -hmm. um, I forget which one I read about recently, but I think it was in Central America somewhere. Um, but we use World Nomads. It comes out to, I think, around $3 a day, mm -hmm. which in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of one of those things that you don't want to need, right? Like you hope you don't need it, but if you do need it, you're happy that you had it. Um, I never personally had to use it. Nick has used it a couple of times to uh, process claims and fully reimburse. So the proof is in the pudding. I've seen it work for him and it was totally worth it in my opinion. Yeah, I back it 100%. I guess it really depends on where you're going. If you're maybe doing a ski trip or something like that, then no brainer. But um, in some places, like when we were in Mexico, I did use it um, due to a blood clot scare. Everything was okay, but uh, it, it wasn't anything too expensive, but I did use it in uh, New Zealand when I had the same sort of health issue. And just a couple hours in a New Zealand hospital racked up to 800 or so dollars uh, after all the tests I had to have done. And World Nomads covered every, uh, every bill 100%. Um, and for anyone traveling long-term, it is a nice peace of mind. Some countries you uh, were used to healthcare here in the United States and how expensive that can be, but you'll be surprised how you can just walk into a place um, in another part of the world and it costs not much at all to handle a health issue. But uh, if you are going to somewhere in, in Europe or somewhere far away for an extended period of time, uh, it doesn't hurt uh, if anything does happen, and that peace of mind is uh, all worth it um, in case stuff does happen. Right. Staying in line with, with health, a new cost that we all have to deal with now, PCR tests. Mm -hmm. They rack up. Uh, Elliot, I don't remember what we ended up spending. We didn't track what we, had, what we ended up spending in total, but we did not anticipate. I don't, we didn't plan for the costs to no. get those PCR tests in. The 24-hour test was 90 euro a person. And then yeah. you can get the rapid antigen tests, like take home and then take them with you on the trip. And I think you can get a six-pack for, I think in total, it's like 200. Um, so the tests themselves are fairly expensive. But if you get a rapid antigen test, I think you can get that for free at pretty much any destination that offers it, especially in the US. Uh, I think most pharmacies allow give you that for free. And then they do have rapid PCR tests, which are usually upwards of 150 or 200 a pop because they're results within two hours. 
Yeah. So it's it's interesting because I, whenever we went on our trip in September, I kind of, I did budget for that. I mean, I tried to budget for everything. And I think, it, you know, I'd heard that it was like 20 or 30 a person and looked at, I know not every pharmacy did it, but a lot of pharmacy did. And you had to, you know, I had a couple marked. And then um, we got to our hotel in Athens and they said, oh yeah, we, we most of the hotels contract with a um, uh, lab and we can have somebody come in to the hotel and take, give you the test. And, and so uh, I think it might've been $10 more than it, Per person than it would have been, but I, we said, great, that would be awesome. <laughs> and uh, the only the only problem was the the guy showed up a little late, and then my husband got his back, and uh, I still didn't get my mine back. And they deal with a ton of, and so we had to have the the guy from the the the, uh, the desk at the hotel like email and call. And we finally got my test back, but we were like, look, we've got to leave at five in the morning. And so we yeah. finally got the test, you know, emailed back and then he printed it for us, but it was still probably much easier than having to like go, you know, find the, the equivalent of CVS or whatever on the corner. And what if they didn't have it or there was a language barrier. And so that was really nice that to find the hotels did that. And I think more and more are now doing that. Yeah, that's, that's a nice feature. I, I did hear that that more hotels are doing that. And I would also add, it's a piggyback off of what you said, um, Kelly, you did pay whatever 10 bucks extra, whatever it is, but you saved time in in the time you had to maybe go to a CVS. And then you also saved the potential for missing a flight, you know, mm -hmm. having to travel, mm -hmm. having additional issues, and then not getting your test back in time and missing a flight. What You know, the cost <laughs> there would have been substantial, whereas you pay a little bit more right then you handle it through the hotel more efficient process and and you're on your way ellie and i actually missed a flight due to delayed pcr test results um in, in paris and so that was frustrating annoying. yeah it's kind of funny what you said kelly reminded me of uh when we were in mexico the last couple of days in mexico city before flying to the u.s uh we were trying to get our pcr tests and the same thing the hotel we were staying at offered a lab that would come in and do the test right on the site there. It was probably maybe $10, $15 more, but just the peace of mind and the time of not having to find it, uh, we said no problem. And then while we were waiting for our results, we kind of were questioning what we just did because at the time, I'm not sure if it's still true, but Mexico had a policy that if you tested positive, you'd have to quarantine in that hotel for, I think it was two weeks. So we were thinking, this is kind of interesting dynamic here. The hotel is giving us or putting us in touch with the people to take the test. Wouldn't it be in their benefit to give us positive results and force us to quarantine and pay <laughs> money in this hotel for two weeks, right? Like, seems like a conflict of interest here. Well, my, my understanding, like in Greece, is the government puts you up and yeah. they might not put you, they can put you, you know, basically in a lower budget accommodation. And so my husband kept joking, like, we're going to end up in a hostel in Greece for two weeks. <laughs> but if we, but, you know, we were both vaccinated and, and honestly, every, every place you went inside, went indoors anywhere, you threw on a mask and you had to actually show your vaccination because, you know, we don't have, we didn't have the the uh, QR code that people that Europeans get, and so we would just show our CDC card to go into whatever um, 
museum we were going in or anything big, they would want you to see your card. And the other benefit, this is kind of off topic, but we did not expect this, but the other benefit is we ate every meal outside, I think except for two meals. And so it was always on the beach or on a patio or outdoor. Nice. And I'm like thinking this outdoor dining is great, you know? <laughs> I love it. Uh, and so every single meal we got to do that. And so um, in anyway, you know, I don't think I kind of had the idea that we would be staying in a lower, a lower budget uh, accommodation at the nickel of the government if we had tested positive. Right. But, um, yeah. You know, we were feeling fine. We were vaccinated. We wore a mask anytime we were indoors. And so we weren't too worried about it, but it was really nice to get that negative test back uh, the yeah. day before we flew at home. It yeah. turned out negative for us too, but we were kind of on the opposite end. It was our last couple of days. So we splurged for like the Hilton hotel for a couple of days to live it up. And then we realized if we get stuck here, this <laughs> it's going to kill our budget pretty quickly, <laughs> but yeah. we got negative results. It all, it all worked out in the end. Has, has anybody here gotten a positive result traveling? I'm just curious if yeah, anybody I had that experience. I don't know anybody that's personally that's gotten stuck in a country due to a positive test. Yeah. No. No. Hmm. Um, one thing, I don't want to linger on this too long, but I'm just curious. I do want to ask, does anybody use any specific platform, maybe beyond Excel, to track their budget? Is there any program, um, ways, like tricks that, that some people might find beneficial? No. Sorry, I'm an Excel, Excel guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm an Excel guy, too. Yeah. Google I use Sheets. Excel as well. Yeah, I use Excel. Yeah, Google Sheets and Excel. It's yeah. the same thing. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if there was some special program that anybody used where you can just plug things in and it helps you out. I actually use Word. <laughs> so, use Word, yeah. Yeah, yeah just yeah. Word. Yeah. <laughs> when I yep. when I actually purchased something ahead of time, I moved it to the to the, you know, already expense column instead of the S or instead of the mm. estimate section. But mm. it still was very easy to track and I, we, I I predicted our the cost of our trip within within like I want to say 100 150. dollars Nice. Wow. Nice. That's pretty solid. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. Have a, a very old school crowd here with the Excel and Word. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> you, need, you need to get the younger generation on here, Bob. Yeah, and right, right. Yeah, we'll work so, on that. So, what does the younger generation use? TikTok to track everything? Yeah, right. yeah what do they use? Um, all right, so now like, I think I we I just wanna... lost a whole demographic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to get a little personal here and just hear about some of your personal travel experiences and get an idea of what each of you personally prioritize for your trips. Well, that's what um, I, I actually want to tie this into our hoorah question. Okay, go for yeah. it, go for it. Because I think, so this is not what I what you recommend to people, but what you yourselves prioritize and splurge on as part of your budgeting and travel experiences. So we'll go one by one here, starting with Nick. Yeah, I think it's really important to just, um, reflect on what's really in what's really going to impact you the most what's most important to you and you really want to splurge on those once in a lifetime experiences that you may never see yourself in again so if you're you're in a location and you say well i don't know the next time i'm ever going to come back here if i'm going to ever come back here um and really put those to the forefront of, of where you're going to be spending your money because it's about those kind of 
those experiences are what you're going to really take with you. Uh, the souvenirs you'll forget about, the magnets on the fridge and the T-shirt that you got. But the um, <laughs> the the experience uh, that really speak to you that are those once in a lifetime experiences. And you know when you're reading through the guidebooks and watching the vlogs or reading a blog about. Uh, telling you that you need to go to every, this museum and that museum. If you're not a museum person, then maybe uh, you shouldn't do that. If you're a foodie, uh, splurge on that restaurant that's five star in the city um, and, and really going to have that experience to take back with you. Uh, one that comes to mind uh, for what me and Vita did that big trip was we were in New Zealand doing it. Uh, New Zealand, we had the opportunity to bungee jump. And we said, let's spend the money at the legit place where it was invented and, and have this experience that we can really take away uh, with us and say, we did it because I don't know if I'm ever gonna come back here to this spot to do it again. So really reflect on what's important to you and, and um, what's really gonna make that travel experience stay with you and really put some money towards that because it's that experience is that what it's gonna really last um, in your head. So Man, that's why you experience. saved all the other stuff. <laughs> and so I ate, I ate sandwiches and then peanut butter and jelly and didn't go to the nice restaurant because uh, all that money adds up for that really uh, once in a lifetime experience. So what what really is your once in a lifetime experience? You know, put the money towards that because that's going to really um, get you, get you going on to the next adventure is taking that with you. All right. Vito. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100% with everything he said. Um, it's funny, I laugh at what he says about the, uh, if you're not the museum type of person, because I am not the museum type of person. I go to a couple kind of scattered throughout the travels. Um, but I mean, I was in Florence, and I didn't go to the museum that holds uh, Michelangelo's David statue. Um, most people would consider that like sacrilegious that you go to Florence, and you didn't see that. <laughs> but like, to me, I went out partying with some new people at like a club all nights of the hour, all hours of the night in Florence and ate good food and uh, kind of walked around the city, met some locals. Like to me, I had an unbelievable time there and you can't tell me that I didn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's more about the experiences for me. I know people that are all about the food, so they will try to go to a five-star restaurant because that's what's important to them, no matter where they are. For me, it's about the experiences. It's the bungee jumping. It's the Oktoberfest. It's biking Death Road in Bolivia. Even though these things, like I think, for example, the biking the Death Road in Bolivia, which I was terrified of doing before. Sounds doing terrifying. It. <laughs> yes. Um, but the cost of it alone in a country where everything is so cheap in Bolivia, like you kind of question it. What am I doing spending $100 on this hour or two hour bike ride? um when it costs a dollar for a meal here you know but to me that created a lifelong experience and memory that i'll take with me and pass along to people like i'm passing along to you so um whatever is that thing that's important to you for me it's these once in a lifetime kind of experiences and there's no price you can really put on that for me mm -hmm. michael Three things, food, wine, and cigars. That's the nice. No, I like to see, I like to try wines from different regions. They're all slightly different and food is a no brainer. I mean, it's, 
you know, I, I do eat street food and I, I will budget occasionally, but that's one of the things that I just don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to go spend some money on that. Mm-hmm. And then if I find a cigar lounge, I found a great cigar lounge in, in Warsaw, Poland and went there every day <laughs> that gets pricey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does. I was, I was going to ask where have you found some of your best cigars? I hands down Cuba. I mean, it's, I know everyone says that, but there is a noticeable difference. Really? I mean, it is. Yeah. If, if you, my dad doesn't even smoke cigars and I, I let him take a puff of a Cuban and he went, Whoa, that's actually nice. I mean, it's wow. Yeah. They, they definitely have the best cigars and they actually have lithium in their soil. So you, that's where you get a little bit of the uh, euphoria from the uh, Cuban cigars more so than the Nicaraguans or the Dominicans. Did nice. not know that. That's yeah, I just met a guy, actually, I went to a cigar lounge in Jamaica, and I met a guy who used to hang out with uh, Castro. He's an Indian guy that lives in Jamaica, has pictures with Castro, ate dinner at his house, met him at, at some cigar festival. And I'm like, what a great story. I interviewed him on, on video and be posting that one. But I, I thought that was a great story. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Find yourself in some interesting crowds with the cigar lounges. Yeah. Right. So try that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to try Polish vodka. It's, it's actually stored in a barrel, so it's brown like whiskey and has some of that flavor. I mean, you, it does kind of expose you a, to a different world. Hmm. So that's yeah. a good point. I didn't think yeah. about that. Locals. Locals. Yep. Yeah. Kelly. Well, my first one, you probably won't consider this much of a splurge, but especially when we are traveling with the kids, you know, we what we've done is just have the use our um, international plan and only use data on the days where we really need to use data. And so we tell everybody, don't use data, don't turn on your data. Uh, but, you know, then and, I, and I've chilled out a little bit since then. And so but I will say whenever there are times where it really helps to turn on your data in this last trip to Greece, we probably used it almost every day. And an example was when we rented a car in Milos. Uh, you can't really tell on the little tourist map where you're go- going and you and there are little unmarked paved, rip, paved roads. And so you think you're turning here and you turn on, you, you look at your Google Maps and your little blue ball is not where you thought it was. And then, you know, easily backtrack, get on the right road, saves you valuable time. And so, if, especially if you're driving or wandering down little cobblestone streets, just turn on the data. But that is almost laughable because, you know, so it's some of my real answers. Well, it is, it is, it was kind of a splurge. You know, I finally, you know, loosened up about the data use and, and I will use the data because it's well worth it to pay $10 a day to save hours of your day. But um, I will also say, my husband might say uh, the splurge is to upgrade the flight a little bit, especially if it's a long international flight for a little more legroom or something like that. That I know that's what what he would say. So I have to I have to mention that. But I actually agree with you all who said those lifetime once in a lifetime experiences or going to that restaurant if there's the the chef that you know about and you really want to try his restaurant or that place that rooftop, you know, restaurant cocktail place, whatever, you know, with a great view or just the, the experience of doing something you would not get to do anywhere else. Those, those are worth, you know, uh, pinching your pennies just a little bit to really save for those things. Agreed. 100%. Yeah. It's, I think it comes down to one question. What do you want out of your trip? Yeah. Well, I think and Nick said it. You... I think Nick said Courage. it. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. Do, what do you want? <clears throat> what is the most important to you when you mm-hmm. travel? Uh, negative PCR test. Yeah, negative yeah. PCR test. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. think you can buy those. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. 
Um, Not yet. All right. Well, th- thank you all for coming on today. Really appreciate your time. For those listening, the, the links to everybody's pages, social media, where you can buy their books are going to be in the show notes. So definitely check them out. Give them a follow. Buy their books. Uh, again, we appreciate everybody's time here today. If you're listening to this and you want to participate in the next one, shoot us an email. We'll get you on the panel. And I think that's it. Thank you for tuning in and tune in next week.